0: Hello fellow time travelers, Tony Witt here. Just wanted to let you know that as you'll hear in the episode, we recorded this episode using Zoom because of course we're all doing social distancing. Only problem is I also have a new laptop and it doesn't like our USB microphones and for some reason at times there will be a high-pitched line which I have been trying desperately to remove from the recording And somehow haven't been able to. So if you do hear it, especially on headphones, just forgive us. We'll try to do better in the future. Thank you. Stay safe. Hello, I am Larry Van Mersbergen, the host of the Doctor Who Collectors podcast. Now that you're reading the Doctor Who target books in story order and enjoying the thorough discussion of them, Maybe you'd like to collect them, or even collect the hardcover editions, or maybe the pinnacle American editions, for all things in the world of Doctor Who merchandise, from books to the Dalek weather vanes and Dalek cufflinks to the really unusual. Tune in to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Podbean. You are listening to the Doctor Who Target Book Club Podcast. Enjoy your travels.
1: Stone.
0: Where you want, I would hello darlings i'm katie manning and i played joe grant and joe grant jones in doctor who <laughs> and iris wild <Wildtown>. time hello lovies <laughs> and you're
2: listening to doctor who target book club podcast enjoy your
0: travels darlings bye-bye Hello, fellow time travelers, and welcome back to the Doctor Who Target Book Club, the podcast in which we undertake the draconian task of discussing in-story order all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Witt, and today we have a not-draconian-at-all three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert, who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. There's our intermediate-level casual fan, who's seen several episodes, but has not previously read any of the books until these podcasts. And this time it's the worthy Dalton Hughes. Hello, Dalton. Hello, hello. And we also have our semi casual fan, one who has seen little to none of the original series and has not previously read any of the books except for the ones we've read for this podcast. And this time around, it's the wise and witty Allison Fitch Seyfried. Hello, Allison. Good evening. We are doing this via Zoom tonight. So if you hear a difference in sound quality or maybe even an improvement in sound quality, And if it reminds you of what it's like to go to work these days, then we've done it correctly. (laughs) So if you like what you're hearing, though I can't imagine why, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash dwtargetbc. Depending on the amount you give per month, you receive, among other possible goodies, a randomly chosen BBC book, not a Target book, since we know that you offer those up to the lizard that eats the ogrons to keep them safe. Just to say thank you for being willing to help us stay on the virtual air. And as usual, we'd like to thank our regular patrons, Bart Lammy, Rick Taylor, Toby Bengelsdorf, Jay Berry, the Video Junkyard Podcast, the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, Hans Wax, and Stephen Pickering. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Thanks y'all. y'all. We also have our Goodreads discussion group where you, the listener, can discuss upcoming books and previous podcasts. You can find us there at tinyurl.com forward slash Y7KMASPR. In fact, we expect you to. We continue now with our discussion of the novelization of the Space War. Without further ado, here are some fast facts. Doctor Who and the Space War, adapted by Malcolm Holt from a script, Frontier in Space, that aired from two twenty four seventy three to three thirty one seventy three, published by Target Books in September 1976. As of this recording in March 2020, this title is currently out of print, but is available as an unabridged audiobook, 142 pages. The original title of this story on television, as you've already gathered, is Frontier in Space, which is name-checked both in the televised story and provides the name of a chapter here in the book chapter nine is called by the actual name of the story and the draconian prince has a line about the frontier in space Mm -hmm. now in publication order this would have been the last book that target ever changed the name of in any significant way if they made any changes beyond this it would be say changing the name of the story robot to doctor who and the giant robot which kind of gives away the big surprise in that story spoiler alert (laughs) there's a giant robot but there you go giant robot a giant robot indeed but we since we're doing them in story order we still have about two or three of those retitles left so i'll I'll let you know when they come up anyway that's just not important but it explains the reason why some people are like why is there no novelization for frontier in space it's like it's called space Um, for you big dummy yeah okay (laughs) a a
1: dumb thing the person could say that one doesn't seem too offensive no no maybe
0: just to people like me i guess i get offended by (laughs) so much these days (laughs) it's it's cabin fever that's what's going on not actual fever i'm perfectly fine but cabin fever is definitely causing me to be a little more stroppy than usual now this story is significant in a number of ways it's one of the few times in the show's history that it's pulled off a surprise in that the reveal of the daleks in episode six on screen seems not to have leaked at all despite the next story being titled planet of the daleks (laughs) even the back cover of our book doesn't spoil it though it does spoil the master showing up
2: yeah that was annoying
0: but yeah i should have redacted it but i was like yeah you knew it was coming
1: Actually, by the time it happened, though, it was 75 pages in, and I had completely forgotten. Oh, well, that's a good
0: thing. It's also the first and to date only appearance of the Draconians, who were a favorite of John Pertwee's. They are a pretty marvelous alien race because what they did was they used latex appliances and joined them to the actor's face so that you could see the jaw moving and the upper lip was covered by the prosthetic and you Mm. could see the eyes. And in fact, I'll play you a clip later to show you just how impressive that makeup is. It's amazing that they haven't shown up again. They've only ever shown up in, say, I think it was either The New Adventures or The Missing Adventures, but never, and maybe in the audios, but never in an actual televised appearance again. John Pertwee loved this particular quote-unquote monster because there was a human aspect to them, and you could see the actor's performance through the makeup, which is always good. Yeah. The story also looks pretty good in terms of sets because the designer, and I'm going to murder her name, Cynthia Cloutier, this would be her only work on the show, unfortunately. And that's a shame because it's still 1970s Doctor Who, but it looks pretty damn good. Sadly, it's also the last story directed by Paul Bernard, who previously directed The Time Monster and Day of the Daleks. He was not asked back after a big problem with the final scene. Which differs, by the way, from what you have in the book. You have a story as it was originally written. Uh, what we had on screen was what happened because of what Paul Bernard decided to do. The director did not like the costume for the Ogron god. Well, that's the giant lizard in the book. Mm-hmm. Which, admittedly, it, it is terrible. It is awful. In fact, I'll play you a clip here in a second. He'd already used it on location, and he didn't want to use it in the final scene when the Ogrons would have seen it attacking them when the Doctor uses the Master's device on them. So that meant all we see is the Doctor turning on the device, the Ogrons react, the Master shoots, he accidentally hits the Doctor, and we see him, you know, we barely see him escape. And so they needed to write a new ending scene and remount the recording of it. So the entire last scene of the story is just John Pertwee and Katie Manning coming back for that one scene. Hmm. And as a result, despite the episode being well-directed in every other way, Bernard was not asked back. In fact, I'm going to play you that scene, because I can do that here in Zoom, which is just amazing to me. This is from episode six, and uh, as soon as I play it, listeners will hear it. In fact, you'll hear better audio than what I'm playing for the panelists. (laughs) That's a Draconian coming up the hill there. Ah, hmm. wow, that Earth person has booty, and that's an ogre. Hey, okay, now <laughs> look at the top of the hill in this next shot. What is that? What is that, indeed?
1: Yeah, is it is effectively scary.
0: You think so? I think it looks like a... Well, let me go back a little bit just to show you and pause it. I'm going to go back and show you just how horrific this thing is. Look at it. It looks like a testicle sack with eyes. (laughs) It is terrifying.
1: so grotesquely and that you expect a humanoid form and still gets that, I think, is effective horror.
0: Yes. Well, I'm going to play it in slow motion for you. That is really awful. (laughs) Yes.
2: And that's supposed to be a lizard?
0: Um, no, that's supposed to be the Ogron god. That's But what
2: it's a giant lizard?
0: It is in the book.
2: <laughs> okay. okay. But only
0: in the book. Only so, in the book. Gotcha. Only in the book. There you go. That's, that's what's going on there. Yeah, so. Because he didn't use it, and because they didn't get enough coverage, and that causes two problems. It causes a problem for us, because when we get to the beginning of the next book, it's going to go from the televised version's ending, not from the book ending.
2: Okay.
0: And I'll have to explain yeah, how they that. they differ? They differ in that uh, instead of just, you know, the Master getting away and the Ogron's freaking out and running away and the Doctor saying, come on, Joe, let's get in the TARDIS, however this book ended. I actually love the ending of this book because it's nice and sweet. But that's it. He just says to go after the Daleks, of course, stand well back. And they, you know, the Master actually gets a nice little send off here and it's oh i'll tell you why this ending is so sweet here in a minute in the televised version the Ogron's freak out the master accidentally fires his gun he hits the doctor and he wounds him joe has to get the doctor into the tardis and once she gets him into the tardis he sends out a telepathic call for help to the time lords who apparently never get the call mm. <laughs> because they never appear in the next story at all. And instead on the page we get this. Uh, That's far enough for safety. The doctor hurled the blaster gun into a distant corner well away from the master's reach. The master grinned. Perhaps we shall meet again, doctor. Yes, perhaps we shall. The doctor closed the door of the TARDIS. The master watched as it dematerialized. Then he went back to his big table and started to collect his star charts and other papers. Oh, well, He said to himself, there's always tomorrow. Now, I think that's Malcolm Holt giving us a very sweet send-off to the Master because Roger Delgado did not get that sort of send-off. Because the fact we don't get to see the Master's escape is made even more poignant by the fact that this would be Delgado's last appearance. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah. Barry Letts and Terrence Dix had planned to bring the Master back one more time. He was going to appear in the season finale the next season, in an episode which would have the Master sacrificing his life to save the Doctor, thus bringing the character to a fitting end. Unfortunately, less than three months after the story aired, Roger Delgado took a job on a television series being filmed in Turkey, and he was assigned a driver who wasn't familiar with the territory the driver literally drove them over a cliff, killing them both. Oh, wow. Yeah, Delgado was only 55. This had a massive emotional impact on the production team. It eventually led to Pert Lee's decision to leave, which he was planning to do anyway, but he decided to do it a little sooner. And both Barry Letts and Terrence Dicks would also stay for only one more season, and that would include Tom Baker's first story, and then they would leave. So it had a massive impact on the whole production now something else that had an impact about this production a surprising revelation on the blu-ray disc for the story is that the bbc was considering canceling the series around this time they figured it had been on the show for 10 years and no series goes on for longer than 10 years (laughs) so they were going to cancel it but the editor of target books approached them about the possibility of novelizing new stories because they had just published those three books from the uh, 1960s that we read a long time ago. Yeah. Because this is 1973. And so they waited to see whether or not the books would have an impact on viewing figures. And they did. So the Target books had a specific impact on keeping the show on the air in a very crucial time. So mm. there you go, kids. It worked nice. for Target books. Yep. If it weren't for Target Books, you wouldn't have Doctor Who now. Well, you, yeah, I you think of them
1: just sort of the books are sort of along their own parallel universe in a way, affected by the show, but not affecting it.
0: Exactly. But the very fact that they were published had the effect of hey, we need more material. Let's keep it going. All right. Well, you know what time it is. It's time for the dramatic reading of the back cover. So which of you is on board for that this time? <coughs> Sorry. <laughs>
2: The burp monster, Allison. Do you want to do it since I did it last time?
1: Uh, I can. It's going to take me a moment to uh, flip to the beginning. So. Okay.
0: Oh, that's right. Because the PDF is at the beginning, isn't it? Mm-hmm.
1: Doctor screamed. Joe, look at that thing! It's coming straight at us. A small black spaceship, about a mile away, was approaching rapidly. It had no lights, no markings, but some instinct told Joe that the tiny craft meant danger. The year is 2540 and two powers loom large in the galaxy. Earth and Draconia. Their spaceships are now being mysteriously attacked and cargoes rifled. Each suspects the other and full-scale war seems unavoidable. The Doctor, accused of being a Draconian spy, is thrown into prison. And only when THE MASTER appears on the scene do things really begin to move. Yeah all
0: caps the master just the so master we know. I have to admit when you when you read that first line doctor scream Joe look at that thing it's coming straight at us I almost said that's what she said because literally that's what she that said that is what she indeed. said <laughs> to the doctor indeed
1: it confuses me when it's apropos of the situation
0: <laughs> um, the um, webcomic XKCD, SKCD. yes actually did that at one point and said yes yes she did <laughs> and i adore that all right so let's get into this it's malcolm hulk which is a good thing but it's this story which is
1: mm,
0: first impressions allison what were your first impressions
1: i was excited we were going to read another malcolm hulk i was trying to remember which the last one was that we read
0: ah oh you stumped me there the last one i think was it was the novelization of colony in space which was renamed oh god what was it renamed I honestly can't remember what it was renamed. I'm so bad at this.
1: Didn't you shame earlier Earlier shame people who can't remember the title of the novel versus the title of the original story?
0: I did, but it doesn't apply to me.
1: All right, <laughs> Fair so, enough. As long as you're self-aware.
0: Yes, yeah. I'm very self-aware. Let me look it up because my brain is just going haywire.
1: <laughs> Your brain is going to Satan?
0: Yeah, that's exactly what's happening.
1: All that um, Dungeons and Dragons.
0: I believe it was the Sea Devils, wasn't it? Sorry, long answer to a short question. It hasn't. I was been trying up. to
1: remember if that one also started with a reintroduction of the premise and a reintroduction of Joe.
0: Um, I think that Malcolm Hulk did that just about every time he wrote a novelization.
1: That's what I was thinking. Which <laughs> is interesting, indicating it wasn't directive. It was just something he wanted to do.
0: This is still one of the earlier novelizations. In fact, I did have that information at hand, and for some reason, I closed the window where I just had it. Mother. <laughs> Son of a why do I do this to myself? I'm sorry I'm more scattered than usual. It really is the app From fever. fame, too. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna cut that out for once because yeah, my mouth has been a little naughty lately. Eleven twelve minus three is nine. This is actually just the ninth book to be published.
2: Wow.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah, because it was published uh in nineteen seventy six.
1: So yeah, this was life.
0: Yeah, but still well after Delgado died. So I think that's why Hulk actually used the original ending to give him the send-off that he should have had on screen. Mm. But um, I'm sorry, Allison, you were telling me your first impressions and you were saying about Hulk.
1: Oh, I was excited we were going to read another Malcolm. Hulk had a lot of Terrence Dicks. And um, not that he is bad, but by by dint of volume that he produced, it's nice to get a break from him. Um, <laughs> yes. and really really enjoy the last uh, couple of Malcolm Hulks that we've read. So it started with an introduction, but actually did set up kind of a, a weird, uneasy relationship. It makes more sense than the ninth one published because we just read a book with a very um, sort of lived-in rapport between Joe and the Doctor, and this starts with an introduction of their relationship again, but then it actually very quickly goes into this familiar banter where she says, well, only you could have a traffic accident in space. <laughs> there was a bit of going back and forth between this sort of relationship, and um, they were long term adventure partners and sort of introducing her into the story, but it makes more sense in publishing history context. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Dalton, what about you? First impressions.
2: Yeah like Allison, I was really excited um, that this was going to be another Malcolm Hulk book. Um, the beginning does remind me a little bit of uh, James Bond. I can't remember particularly which film it is. I think maybe it's uh you, you only live twice, mm-hmm. where the the Russians are or somebody is stealing spaceships in space
1: yes so,
2: a, kind of a, a mystery feeling of there's this this third party that's making these other two parties feel like they're attacking each other but it's really someone else on the outside that's that's creating this chaos yeah uh the back cover kind of spoiling the master for me a little annoying um that <laughs> that was something that i really did not see coming i uh, if if it wouldn't have been spoiled i would have thought it could have been somebody else some third party it it was fun though i I really like the pacing of this one really really good read
1: we're told earlier on that there is an unmistakable accent of the draconian so tony on the episode what is that accent
0: oh well let me give you um let me see if i can find a reading for you Uh, i was curious
1: if they had them do a russian accent since they seem to be going so obviously for the soviet western powers conflict
0: no but they do have the emperor. Well, they cast a um, Scottish. Well, I believe he's Scottish, actor as the emperor. So he's got an interesting lilt going on throughout his uh, speech. In fact, let me bring up that episode, and I'll see whether or not I can play that for you. Oh, here we are. In fact, that's going to be the. oh um, ah, that's going to be the speech in the uh, when they show up to greet the emperor. Oh, wait, I'm sorry, I've got it in slow motion. (laughs) Sorry about that.
1: Majesty, I bring the prisoners. May I have permission to address the emperor? Wait, this is an insult. My life at your command, sir.
0: How dare you address the emperor in a manner reserved for a noble of Draconia?
1: Ah, but I am a noble of Draconia. The honor was conferred on me by the 15th emperor. The 15th Emperor
0: reigned 500 years ago. (laughs) Your Majesty, do not be taken in by this ridiculous story. Be silent! There is the soldier. There is a legend among our people of a man who assisted the 15th Emperor at a time of great trouble when we were almost overwhelmed by a great plague from outer space. But you could not be that man. No Earth
1: man lives so long. Your Majesty, this man that you speak of was he not known as the Doctor, and did he not come to this planet in a spaceship called the TARDIS? He did. Well, I am that man, sire.
0: Okay, so that's the uh, that's the scene <laughs> that gives you an idea of what they sound like.
1: Those are good. Those were prosthetics for the seventies. Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: yeah! Oh, they're awesome. They're absolutely awesome. Yeah. So that's that's the accent on the the actor playing the prince. Uh, I believe they said on the uh, Blu-ray that he generally played generic other parts throughout his career, and so of course this was him doing an otherworldly alien and uh, doing those little trills, doing You those say
1: other. You mean trills. like non-human sci-fi parts, or just you know, the Butler B parts?
0: The Butler, the Algerian, the African, the you know Frenchman, the essentially. In fact, it was weird because on the Blu-ray, they talked about the tendency of casting directors in 1970s Britain thinking that specifically Jewish actors could pass as just about any other nationality,
1: which is pretty a weird stereotype. Yeah,
0: right. it, it really was an oddly specific stereotype, but there you go. Yes. Oh, and there's one other thing, thing I wanted to point out to you since I can play clips for you. I want to show you The Earth, President. I think she looks a lot like Alice and myself, so I'm going to show you what she looks like when she's getting her little massage. I
1: thing do here. not remember a massage scene?
0: Yeah, when she, oh wow, she probably wasn't getting it on in the book. This
2: Preservation Society wants you to address their annual meeting on the 10th of January.
0: Mm. Clashes with a cabinet meeting. Um, express apologies. Congratulate them on their good work. And there's an inquiry reporting on the
1: anti-corruption in Peking
2: last week. The petitioners seek your support for compensation.
0: Pass that on to the Treasury with my recommendation. All claims to be sympathetically considered. Anything else? General Williams requires an interview. He says it's extremely urgent. I see. See, that woman reminds me a lot of Allison. I could see
1: that. that yeah. That's perfectly inoffensive.
0: Yeah, every, in fact, from the, from the moment I met you years ago, I was like, oh, she looks like the Earth president in, uh Frontier in
1: Space. Oh, That's yeah, really- and yet I'm terrible at administration, but I do appreciate the thought.
0: <laughs> no problem. Okay, so where do we start with this one?
1: Well, so speaking of Malcolm Holt, he gave us some um, uh, lovely backstories on what you said didn't appear in the episode itself. I was wondering if the backstory about the president and General Williams and the start of the previous war 20 years ago was in the episode or that was um, just in the book.
0: The way the war started 20 years ago is in the book.
1: Okay. I mean, it's in the episode also?
2: It's in the episode.
0: Yeah, it's in the uh, televised version, yeah. Okay. Um, The weird thing there, though, is that Hulk does kind of what Terrence Dix tends to do, which is reorders events and shuffles them around a little bit. And that revelation comes a little sooner than it does in the uh televised version there is no prior romance between them though
2: I'll say the bit with the locket was a little strange
0: oh just a bit oh <laughs> god <laughs> I, I swear, it's it's like they give with one hand and take with the other, that they give us this really strong female character and have her do really great things and even go so far as to say, in Hulk's case, she was definitely not the first female president. So it's like, yeah, there's been a long line of this. And then they say, oh, but she's oh so feminine. And she wears a locket of her ex-lover who's now her, the general under her command. And we do mean under her command. Dodge, dodge, wink, wink, say no more. And it's like, f- hell, guys. It's terrible.
1: I do like that the generic description of the female lead being attractive with kind of had some gender parity, we're told. She was an attractive woman, and then we're told about General Williams as uh, strikingly handsome. So they're both just as nonspecific. So yeah. Oh, and then the uh the ambassador who was a uh not a lizard person, a reptilian person, we're told had the dignity and arrogance that went with the station in life. So also not a specific physical description. So it's all quite evenly distributed.
0: Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yes, exactly. We're not getting the big black man or whatever it is that Dick's... Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. We're not getting that at all, thank goodness. Um, What did you like about this book? Do you find that it holds up to other Hulk books, or are there difficulties with it?
1: I like the contrast between the formal greeting that we're told, the sort of call-and-response greeting we're told the first time is um, meaningless. Let me see if I can find it here. Um, may you live a long life and may energy shine on you from a million suns. Then the per- other person is supposed to respond. And may water, oxygen, and plutonium be found in abundance. I like that the first time that we read that, we're told that people are just saying it mechanically, like hello and goodbye, but they aren't even thinking about it. Yeah. I like that contrasted to the custom of females do not speak to the emperor, which is considerably <laughs> more weighted yes just a little bit to the draconians it's the same thing oh well you know we just we just give this greeting we expect this response and then we expect females to not speak to the emperor as if they are somehow equivalent customs i thought that was a nice cultural touch
0: oh yeah absolutely and the fact that joe immediately calls them on it is just marvelous defiant Yes, she's in fact a lot more defiant on on the page than she is on screen, which is just lovely. About those greetings, though, they don't happen on screen, thank God. Which is wonderful, because you notice by the end of the book, even the doctor's gotten sick of them, and he actually cut someone off in the middle of one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would have been just ridiculously awkward for the actors to deliver that line every time. So the only one that ever gets delivered all the time is the draconian prince when he takes his leave saying my life at your command whether he means it or not Mm. yeah in fact hulk has done a really good job Uh, it's one of the most successful cases of world building in the pertwee era that we've probably ever had and so it's a shame that they never appeared on tv again they'd be wonderful in the new series Mm -hmm. maybe they'll bring them back they should they absolutely should it's uh, also interesting that we're far enough back that he's still being called Doctor Who, at least initially.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We saw that one time at the beginning and it was quite the bracing cold water to the face.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is a bit, especially since we've been reading all these books published in the 80s or the late 70s when they finally stopped doing it.
1: I wanted to say, but now you said that you know, it was published early on, that makes more sense.
0: Yeah. And what really surprises me with such an early book is that it doesn't have one of those little asterisks saying, oh, this happened in the Sea Devils when the Master visited the Doctor in prison. It should have had, you know, the asterisk and then see Doctor Who with the Sea Devils, but that book hadn't been written yet, so I imagine that's why it's not there.
2: But there is one.
0: Oh, is there? Am I getting the Yeah, there's,
2: there's one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, it does... It has the asterisk and
0: says see the story but well damn it anyhow what is wrong with me what the hell is that
2: (laughs) yeah it just says see dr who and the sea devils oh
0: am i so i'm thinking about the next book that's exactly what it you know what it is i've got nothing to do but read student papers, <laughs> and <laughs> read these books, and so I've already, I'm have already i already halfway through the next one.
2: So the next one doesn't have...
0: No, the next one does not, because it's written in, you're right, I'm sorry, thank you, page 85, yeah, what a pity you found out about my little conspiracy with the Sea Devils. Sea Doctor who had the Sea Devils, yeah, of course. So we're still early enough that we're getting those things. Luckily, they get rid of them after a while, and they realize, if you really want to find the book, you'll find it. All right, what else?
1: What do we think of uh, the political situation that they present where the general sometimes has more power than the president, depending on the kind of situation? And where uh, we're told the president watches the news several times a day to find out what voter opinion is. What do, we, <laughs> what do you think about that? Well, the seventy like 70s Britain versus here and now. We think that's prophetic, not so much. There were definitely
2: a lot of uh, things dealing with at least the the Earth uh, politics that I thought were kind of similar to today, especially, yeah, the fact that she was checking the news so often to, to see how people were thinking of her. Um, yeah, Earth's news service was independent of government control. What was said on television affected the thinking and therefore the votes of hundreds of millions of Earth people. Yeah, and so I thought, I thought that was pretty much in line with the kind of how today's news cycles run. Are you a CNN or a Fox News person? Yeah.
1: It's also, this interesting tension where we would assume that a president would be more powerful than a general, but depending on the situation, a general actually has more power in a way that it was interestingly unsettled, yeah. where yeah. in some situations, perhaps between the two of them, they weren't clear on who had greater prerogative, and so they both sort of tried to take it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, there are a couple of uh, quotes that kind of uh, sound, (laughs) reminded me very much of this sort of thing. In the best traditions of diplomacy, the president flavored her criticisms with compliments. And I was like, you know, I know of a president that could probably use that sort of uh, diplomacy right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: And aside here, I expected them to come back to where we have Congressman Brooke, who deliberately uses racialized language to be provocative, referring to you know since the days of Saint George, Earthmen have been perfectly capable of putting dragons in their place in a situation where dragons is a slang derogatory. and often considered a slur. Yeah, which made me think of you know Trump and the Chinese virus when there are more viable names available. Oh, yeah, God. I actually thought we'd come back to brooke but we did not
2: yeah and and since since the master was spoiled on the back i honestly thought that brooke would end up being the master oh really Mm. i thought that this congressman that kind of seemed to be riling up the people and kind of troublesome he seemed like a someone that could have possibly ended up being the master but
1: that would have made sense yeah Mm -hmm.
0: unfortunately it's a road not taken That would have been a very interesting story. In fact, that sounds exactly like the sort of thing the master would have done.
2: This country has been sick. This country needs healing. This country needs medicine.
1: In fact, I'd go so far as to say that what this country really needs right now is a doctor. Right. And in a way, it is what he's doing.
0: And the weird thing about that uh, Congressman Brooke, <laughs> is that we do see him briefly in episode six, and he looks like some long, long-haired hippie out in the field shouting at the camera.
2: <laughs> really?
0: <laughs> yeah, because it's a it's a British actor doing their best American accent, which of course means the worst American accent, and <laughs> just <laughs> but it's. And they think
1: this is what an American member of Congress looks like, a hippie Mm -hmm. shouting in a field.
0: Yep, exactly. (laughs) Or maybe I shouldn't say hippie. He just has longer hair, but he's an older guy. And they put a potted plant beside him to make it look like he's outside and a backdrop (laughs) of, He's in you a field.
1: Know. Why does he need to bring more
0: plants? Yeah, the first thing, exactly. The first time I saw it, I was like, "Oh, did you bring your own pot
1: plant there?" Sparky. Well, he thought that the plants in the field were invasive species. He brought a, a native species with him so he could feel at home.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. It does have some curious echoes with our own time, doesn't it?
1: Yeah.
2: And even, even the bits about how the people were more peaceful until the attack started, and then all of a sudden everyone wants war, and that that's kind of echoes in ways how America is. There's even a line where it says, moods change, madam. You were elected before the Draconians started raiding our ships and getting away with it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the kind, the kind of idea that everyone's peace-loving until they're attacked, and then they just want to retaliate.
0: There's also very much an echo of what we now know are the, are the dangers of democracy. That you can have, you know, the idea, the concept of one person, one vote, and everybody has a voice, and you have the right to protest. But even under this president's administration, this uh, president in the book, I mean, there are people, political prisoners, who are sent to the moon of all places, yeah, it, indefinitely. And the weirdest thing, in fact, this is one change that Hulk makes in the book that I'm so happy about, probably because as a card-carrying communist himself, he knew what it was like to be harassed for one's political views. In the book, we have the doctor saying, before we go to Draconia and take care of this mess, Madam President, will you please consider bringing the people from the Peace Party back from the moon? And she says, sure, I'll consider it in a way that makes us actually
1: think she will. They I actually thought it was kind of a cop out. Oh, really? Clearly she would have thought about this before. It just I don't know, it seemed a little too pat.
0: Mm. Well, at least we have it because in the televised version we never hear about them ever again. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, so as far as the actual canonicity of the show, the TV version goes, they're still up there on the moon.
1: Well, in terms of I'll consider it, I actually thought it introduced a bit more of a realistically dark undercurrent to a person who would be president of Earth that for all her talk of avoiding war, she was okay with having thousands of political prisoners in permanent exile. Mm-hmm. Which exactly. actually would make sense to a person who descended to that position.
0: Yeah, she's if she's gone to that level of government, then there are probably more than a few principles she's had to compromise along
1: the way. Yeah. I like that the master's illusions were relatively realistic. So oh. when Williams is going through what he thinks is happening, the president says, I want to avoid war. And, you know, Williams says, uh, you know, well, you're actually putting us in greater danger of war by showing vulnerability and, and weakness that that's not a crazy thing to consider. <laughs> um, and then even the conspiracy theory we have with the draconian ambassador we have, let we, we know his the draconian ambassador, that you are both agents of earth government, part of some plot against our empire. You're working for General Williams. He hates our people, which is true. He is employing you to create tension among the people of Earth to overthrow your own president, bring the present crisis to a state of war. And we know that he's not doing that, but that's a perfectly reasonable assessment from the outside of what he might be trying to do. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Another great response. My dear chap, what a complicated mind you have.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) And I think that's not on on television either. In fact, there are a lot of one-liners in this version that aren't delivered on television. But I'm glad you brought that up because I always forget that J. Michael Straczynski, who had the creator of Babylon 5, was a Doctor Who fan. Mm -hmm. And you can definitely see echoes of the earth Mimbari war from that series and how it started in this conflict between earth and the draconians that they sent a ship it was a warship they they didn't answer our communiques because the communications were down and with the earth Mimbari war it's they uh, greet other ships with their gun ports open to show that they aren't going to shoot them or something like that And, of course, Earth takes it as a sign of hostility and uh, conflict ensues. Hmm. What's odd to me is that Williams didn't know about all of that with the communications going out until that late in the book. Yeah. Yeah. You'd think someone would have actually told him. You'd think the prince would have told him at some point.
2: Yeah, it it seems almost like everyone's kind of just uh, brushed aside why the war happened. Mm Mm-hmm. Like what started it it's just more like it 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 happened lots of people died on both sides let's not talk about it
0: yes and yet there's still a lot of bubbling resentment and hostility which Mm -hmm. the master is able to tap into in that way that he always does so what else oh there is one line in chapter eight that i thought was particularly prescient for what we're going through (laughs) it's when joe is sitting in the master ship waiting for him to pick up the doctor and it says, Joe was frightened and bored at the same time.
1: Yes, so, I did like yeah. that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a line to describe what it's like sitting through a pandemic. And she's thinking about cage birds as well. So
1: yes. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Another like, throwaway description here. The master entered wearing a uniform of a high-ranking diplomat of the Earth Empire. A vain rune. he was particularly pleased with how well the simple tunic of metallic orange filled his athletic figure. <laughs>
0: And of course he thinks he's got an athletic fit. Well, actually Roger Delgado probably it was I like fairly. the
1: Vane Roan part. I had to look it up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. And then in the contrast to that, the uh, doctor <laughs> the doctor is on the prison ship and whoever is outfitting the prisoners. You know, the one in the frilly shirt <laughs> <He has> is a <laughs> yeah. uniform.
0: Why is he about dressed out like everybody else? <laughs> and then they have to give him his clothes back, which I think is hilarious. I yeah. mean we could have spent the rest of the episode in those awful prison garments, but luckily didn't. But
1: then we have in in contrast and compliment to the master, we have the, the doctor who's told to shut his snout. My snout exclaimed the doctor, aware who was rather good looking. I don't have a snout. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. Definitely Malcolm Hulk is pulling out all the stops with the, some of the best lines that we've read in any of these books. Like when in chapter ten, the ogreon comes back and he says, "I count us," and ma- the master says, "Marvelous! Soon you'll learn how to read." <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> so I thought there would turn out to not be any lizard overlords. That it was going to be all uh, the master's hypnotic suggestion to keep the ogrons in line, and I was incorrect.
0: Yeah, because that again sounds like something he would do. You know. But this. the effect was,
1: I was actually surprised to see them. Really. But I thought that they were going to turn out to not be physically there on that planet, that they were going to just be a a hypnotic suggestion.
0: Oh, I see. Gotcha. I see. Yeah, that would have been an interesting way to go with it, too. I think, in fact... You can kind of see the production team setting up this whole thing with Carnival of Monsters because they do mention the Ogrons and they say the Ogrons work for the Daleks. And if you were watching back in 1973, you might have remembered that. And you'd be like, oh, there are Ogrons here. Ooh, could it be? Could it be? No. It turns out it's the Master and he's controlling them. But wait, there they are. (laughs) They're actually there. They're there for the briefest second, but they're there. Oh. Yeah, it's interesting in what goes well with the story and interesting with what doesn't.
1: I was a little unclear on the nature of the hypnosis, and this might be laziness on my part, uh, but whether or not the, the individuals who were subject to hypnosis were seeing whatever they most feared seeing, or the master was making more specific suggestions as to what they should see, what species they should see. Because the fears were not especially personal, mm-hmm. wasn't You know, oh no, I see my uncle who used to beat me coming. You, know, <laughs> you know, oh, I see, I see hostile troops from the other species coming at me. Well, is, there is that, some kind of control over what they saw.
2: There is that line in there about fear and fear leading to hate, mm-hmm. and so uh, I think that it may have been kind of tied in with what they hated the most.
0: Also, whatever fear was foremost in their mind, because remember, right. Joe and the Doctor are coming directly off Carnival of Monsters. And what she initially sees is a mm-hmm. So that might be it. whatever fear is foremost in their head. Mm. And since there are tensions between Earth and Draconia, they're of course going to see troops from the other culture coming to attack them.
1: So I guess more situational fear rather than sort of a personal darkest fear. If any of my uncles ever hear this, I was never beaten by any of my uncles, by the way.
0: <laughs> I should hope not. I, was th- I thought you were talking about Joe, because Joe's uncle in the, in the UN was the one who got her the job with the UN.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: She took it to yeah. get away from the beatings.
1: She wanted to be a lady spy. This is kind of like when I once told my husband he looks like a male stripper and he responded, what other kind of stripper would I look like? <laughs> <laughs> with kind
0: of oh god but it's interesting about the hypno thing because later on in the book we get this scene in which the master says well i can't hypnotize you because that doesn't work anymore and i suppose i could use the hypno sound device but that doesn't work on you either so why try it now here's the weird thing hulk has made a decision that takes something away from Joe. And I want to play you that scene because it plays out very differently on screen. And I think he kind of did himself a disservice by not showing us that particular seat. But this is the scene as it played out originally. You know, Miss Grant, I'm going to set a trap for the Doctor and you are going to help me. what? No noble speeches to the effect that you'd rather die than betray the doctor?
2: You know I'm not going to help you.
0: I know that you are. I know that you will obey me. Mary master. had a
2: little lamb, his fleece was white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. Me. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Stop call.
0: that, Miss Grant!
2: It's a form of self-conditioning. You fill your mind with nonsense, and then you can't be hypnotized. Seesaw, will Marjorie door, Johnny me. shall have a new master. He shall have you but a penny a day because he can't go any faster. All right, all right! You're right. <laughs> <laughs> very
0: fond of nursery rhymes, anyhow.
2: <laughs> and you'll just have to give up all hope of hypnotizing me, won't you? Once was quite enough, thank you.
0: <laughs> in that case, I shall have to try something else. You may have heard this noise before, Miss Grant. It works directly on the fear centers deep in your mind. So that's the scene as it originally appeared. Hmm. Very different. Yeah. Yeah,
2: I like that reciting the initial rhymes to, to keep yeah. being hypnotized.
0: I adore that because it shows that Joe has actually learned quite a bit. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's actually more interesting that, than the concept that she's somehow more strong-minded than the typical human, but not as strong as a doctor. That's a more specific. Yeah, I like that thing that she learned. Mm-hmm. Right, experience.
0: Yeah, and the only reason I can think that Hulk may have done that is just to streamline the plot a little bit because we have, what, 142 pages? And it's a six-parter. Yeah. So he's got a lot of story to compress downward. And I guess, you know, you kill your darlings, as they say. What else did you enjoy? Other lines that you enjoyed? Other bits of the plot you enjoyed? And then we'll get to what people tune in for when we start trashing
1: There's some terrific moments for the master. He chuckled, amused by the thought of other people's misery. (laughs) Why are you always so nasty? Joe asked him. I thought I was charming. He laughed. (laughs) Yes. yes.
0: (laughs) And that scene, of course, is not on screen because it would involve building a brand new set with the interior of the master's ship. So that's brand new. And it's a lovely character building moment because you imagine Joe and the Master just toddling through space, and they're not making conversation. He's just saying horrible things. And she's saying, how dare you?
2: Um, after the Ogrons have uh, saved the Master, uh, they say, we rescued you. That important, the Master laughed, to me and to you. Without me, you wouldn't have enough brains between you to make a wheelbarrow. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
0: That was the weirdest line, isn't
2: it? It's so mean, strange, but... Making... And yet it was memorable. Yeah.
0: Does it mean making a wheelbarrow out of their brains? Or that if you put the brains in the wheelbarrow, <laughs> you carry <kill> them around? <sighs> Who knows, but... Uh.
1: So what do we think of this one? The master is telling um, Joe to come out uh, from behind the bars. Joe stayed where she was. Why? Because I'll blast you stone dead if you don't, Miss Grant. It may not have occurred to you, but although the doctor may be useful to me, you are totally useless. There are men with an eye for a girl with a pretty face, adventurers with a touch of pity for the innocent victim of a situation. I am not one of those men. His voice became menacing. Come out of that cage in five seconds or or stop existing. Yeah. So is he, he implying that the doctor has an eye for a girl with a pretty face he, and a touch of pity for the innocent victim of a situation? Because he
0: absolutely is. Mm-hmm.
1: That would be a pretty dark accusation against the doctor if he just likes having someone around to rescue
0: well it's a criticism of the doctor that the new series has occasionally made in fact if you remember um an episode with the 11th doctor it's called um what is it called amy's choice that's it and this mysterious figure called the dream lord comes and traps he rory and amy in two different dream worlds and they don't know which one is the real world and which one is the dream one. And this dream lord keeps needling the doctor about having a taste for the young and always preferring, the the old man always prefers the company of the young and needs someone to rescue and needs an audience. I need to find my friends.
2: Friends? Is that the right word for the people you acquire? Friends are people you stay in touch with. Your friends never see you again once they've grown up. The old man prefers the company of the young, does he not?
0: And it turns out that the Dream Master, spoiler alert, is another aspect of the Doctor. So, yeah, it could very well be that, because certainly his companions tend towards the young and the not-so-capable. I mean, they're fairly capable, but not as capable as they could be. Maybe that's it.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Sort of like the concept of you know the marvel universe historically does not have as many teenage sidekicks as the dc universe because it's irresponsible to take teenagers out and get them nearly killed for a lot
0: yeah exactly <laughs> and probably well that that's true of 1960s and 70s comics it's not so true of the 1930s because captain america had bucky human torch had toro and i th- yeah, but, think
1: but there's yeah. But there, a few different instances where characters explicitly say because of Bucky there aren't all these teenage sidekicks.
0: Yeah, agreed. Maybe. And and yet they still had Rick Jones, who was oh, yeah. basically the sidekick to everybody.
1: Yeah, well, then Kitty Pride and Jubilee hung out with Wolverine, and yeah. Anyway, we're not a comic book
0: podcast. We are a Doctor Who podcast. So even though this uh, happens to be about
1: a Hulk book, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> nice musings of murder here. Yes, well, you do, Master. You I like do. to take the Doctor alive if I can, but if not, I shall blow him to pieces. Pity, really. You not wish kill him? Of course I do you fool said the master. But to use rocket fire at long range somehow it lacks a personal touch. <laughs> Guys, I want to see the surprised look on his face. He <laughs> wants to kill him in a in a personalized manner. Oh, and when he re-
0: rescues the doctor, there are a couple things. The doctor thinking, "Why am I thinking of the master in my last moments?" as he's collapsing to the floor from lack of oxygen. Yeah, it's like, "What?" <laughs> and then when they get all together for the first time, he says, why am I still alive? We time lords live to a ages. You know what I mean. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. So um, a nice improvement here of Joe over what we would have seen with, say, Victoria, or maybe even with Joe with uh, lesser writers. Um, the Ogron is uh, giving Joe some kind of uh, thick, unappealing porridge to eat. The Ogron rubbed his stomach. Food is good. Fabulous. She said, you eat. Good, get big, become Ogron wife. There's a thought, she answered. Well, I'd better fatten myself up. Eat, get big. And <laughs> anyway, so she doesn't scream or fade or have a look of horror. No. So her, the deadpan humor, I thought, was a, a nice moment in and of itself and also so much better than other things we could have gotten there.
0: And that's, again, all new. The Ogrons really, except for one, because they don't they have to pay whoever's got dialogue. The Ogrons really don't have any lines except for the one that's, you know, he's on a course for Earth. We are on course for Earth. Well, I know yes. that you Indians. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, and the fact that after that scene, you know, she uses the spoon and the water that's given to her to help dig herself out of the cage. It's like just more development of Joe being that that kind of cunning, and she she works with what she has to to figure things out.
0: She certainly does, and. We'll see some of that carry through to the next story, and then, well, let's leave some surprises.
1: <sighs> uh, so I am tonight, for the first time, joining you from my apartment, which is a garden apartment, which is a euphemism for basement. So the windows start five feet up, uh, especially resemble the remark, we're not at home yet, to so the ogron. home good, inside hill. So, <laughs> yes. so I am at home inside of, well, it's too flat to be a hill, but, you know, as Joe says, it is cozy yes Mm
0: -hmm. exactly yes and that whole thing about the ogrons giving offerings to the lizard and they actually say no eat ogrons
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes well that's why i thought it was going to turn out that they were leaving this pile of you remember joe thought that it was just a a trash pile i thought it was going to turn out to be some uh, just a manipulation that the master had them doing to sort of keep them afraid and keep them busy uh, leaving sacrifices for something that wasn't actually physically there.
0: And yet Instead of a is. giant,
1: full-fading testicle that apparently you <laughs> saw on screen.
0: Well, you and you saw it in a long shot. Imagine seeing that thing in close-up in the studio.
1: Prefer not.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would too, because I see enough. Uh, oh, no, forget
1: that. Yeah. <laughs> no. no.
0: <laughs> let's, not, let's not go there. Social distancing, everybody. Social distancing.
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, God. Hmm. Well, his oh. Last uh, remark about Joe: the prince spoke. The female with whom you travel, the one who talks, you expect her. To- <laughs> I like think that, that's a characteristic. <laughs> the Excuse female could her here. That's the my hope, said the doctor. And then the prince says, you must educate her to be silent. Then she'll be a very nice person. (laughs) (laughs) Well, And they never actually explicitly connect the fact that the prince has been at the court of a woman president on Earth. And then also enforces the etiquette of females do not speak on his home planet. And there's never, we get the sense in in his mind, there's never any sort of conflict whatsoever about this. It's just, you know, all custom to him.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, but at home.
1: Actually does kind of ring true that he doesn't see any kind of conflict at all there. It's just, you know, it's all etiquette. It's all courtliness. It doesn't affect him at all. So what's the problem? Yeah, well, it's kind of
0: like the Ferengi. When they're around clothed females, they're like, well, I guess that's what
1: they like around here. But no sense that it might be a different experience for the females well yes. and it's
2: not even extended just to joe he doesn't he doesn't particularly like the way the doctor speaks to the emperor as well because he's not yes. supposedly of the, the high class mm-hmm. yes which, so and it's, it's receive yeah. Permission. Yeah, yeah exactly
0: and that's something that even the uh, draconian emperor says in both versions and says one day you will be emperor and you'll appreciate the niceties when you get up here mm-hmm. yeah Ah, let's see. There, there's so much good about this story, and it's mostly just from the one liners, like uh, <laughs> the doctor's reaction when the master is saying he is in, in favor of peace across the universe. I too welcome your wisdom, Your Majesty. Nobody could be more devoted to the cause of peace than I. As a commissioner of Earth's interplanetary police, I have devoted my life to the cause of law and order. And law and order can only exist in a time of peace. You feeling all right,
1: you.: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sad that now that I know this is the last Delgado story.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it makes that ending a lot more poignant, doesn't it? Because he has that lovely little last line. Perhaps next time it's like, well, we will see the Master again. Of course, he just won't be Delgado, which is unfortunate. Now, we've talked about the things that are good, what do you find is problematic at best and just outright awful at worst, if there is anything?
2: Uh, I, was, I kept being annoyed at just how much everyone was willing to ignore what the doctor and Joe were trying to tell them. And they had uh, to keep
1: introducing new devices to do it. Oh, they're prisoners. Oh, they're from somewhere else oh, they just came through the airlock. Right, yeah, oh, they're spies,
2: yeah. oh, they're, yeah. Um, it just, just the fact that no one had any kind of mental ability to think maybe there is someone on the outside trying to make this tension happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially well, since both cultures were saying, we're not doing this.
0: Right. Well, it reminds me of what we were just saying about parallels to our own time. Especially after 9-11, when anyone who was a practicing Muslim was seen with suspicion, regardless of whether they had any affiliation with any organizations that even gave money to people who would then fund terrorist organizations. So I think that's a lot of it, that there's a lot of just outright suspicion of anybody who shows up in suspicious circumstances. And you have to admit, the Doctor and Joe have shown up in very suspicious circumstances. They can't even say, well, look, this is the way we came here in the TARDIS. Let's show you because the TARDIS-
1: It, I, I, it was amusing multiple times that, we don't even want to be on this ship. Well, then how did you get on it? Yeah. We didn't really want to. We just it's, kind of materialized through the wall.
0: Through the right. wall? That doesn't make As any sense. This one does. Oh, yeah, only you could have a traffic accident in space. <laughs> 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 I wish I could say this is the only time that the TARDIS will ever collide with a ship, but it'll happen again.
1: I think the first one I read that happened, remember uh, the TARDIS sort of passed through a ship and messed up its navigation?
0: Yes, that would have been, was that the rescue? Maybe, yes. I
1: thought it was I the one so. with the uh, where they were tiny.
0: Oh, no. No, it was the one after. It was after that. Because you read Planet of the Giants, then we did Dalek Invasion of Earth, and then the very next one was The Rescue. And The Rescue had new material by Nigel Robinson that had the TARDIS essentially passing through the ship on its way to uh, Dido to rescue Vicky. Yeah, so I think that was it.
1: Yeah, we're used to seeing the Doctor fly through things unintentionally.
0: Yes, we're also used to seeing now... The Doctor and Joe arriving in a cargo hold.
1: Yeah. It's, it's an af- from a set builder's perspective, it's an affordable place to arrive.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but it's well, I remember
1: uh, around the time that the uh, first season of Netflix, Luke Cage came out reading something about this of, in the reviews of, you might get tired of so much of a story being said in this nightclub, but that's, that's something that's very easy to construct. Oh. Um, something that dr- has a reason to be dramatic, but is very inexpensive to put together. So I imagine the, since this wasn't a story where uh, clubs made a lot of sense, cargo right. hold is the next most affordable. Well, our last uh, story took place largely in a cargo receiving area of a spaceport.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. And they end up in the cargo hold of the ship. So it's not just... They're kind of showing up every once in a while in a cargo hold. This is two stories in a row that they've shown up in a cargo hold.
1: They have a lot of boxes sitting around the BBC.
0: Yeah, they really do. <laughs> it's absolutely bizarre.
1: Well, you keep kind of hinting and teasing. Maybe there's something terribly hateful and objectionable mm-hmm. that people see in this book that we haven't quite hit on yet. Well, here's I'm curious the thing. as to what it might be.
0: Well, here's the thing. It's a Hulk book. And therefore, it's better than most target novelizations just because of that. Hulk books are like sex. Even the bad ones are pretty good, as we've seen with uh, the War Games. The War Games was not his best work because he was on his way out, but it was still pretty good. Yeah. But the problem is that if you start peeling the onion on the story, you notice something really kind of disturbing. This is one of those stories that I actually like quite a bit, believe it or not. I'm going to preface this by saying I actually love this story to watch and to put on the background, in the background, when you're doing cleaning or whatever around the house, because it really is just the sort of thing that you can tune in and out of. Mainly because they keep ending up, getting kidnapped or caught and put in a cell and it's a lot of running around in fact i did um an itinerary because i finally figured it out here's the itinerary of the story the doctor and joe go from the cargo ship to earth they meet the president the doctor gets captured by the draconians as they're on their way to prison where joe ends up then the doctor gets recaptured by the earth police and he sent to the moon The Master gets Joe, takes her to pick the Doctor up. They head to the Ogron planet. The Draconians capture them on the way and take them back to Draconia. They head back to Earth after the Ogrons attack and get the Master. The Ogrons follow them back on the way back to Earth and grab Joe. The Earth Police capture the Doctor and the Prince. They head back to Earth to meet Madam President again. And then they all head back to the Ogron planet one more time. It's like a god ping pong tournament yeah yeah and i know i'm being blunt with that but some of the biggest criticisms of this story revolve around the fact not a lot happens and it goes back to your point dalton that they're never believed when they tell the truth and you said it too allison that it happens in the most contrived way sometimes just to keep the plot going for the whole six episodes
2: yeah like even even the point where they have the ogron, they have proof but this is what has been going on. And the Draconians are like, yeah, now we have to fly back to Earth to prove it. It's like, don't you, you have, have to what now? <laughs> do you have to fly back to Earth to prove it? It's like, don't you have communications other than literally flying there?
1: <laughs> Can't you just like we have spaceships but not radios?
2: <laughs> right. Like, don't you you don't have and, and they even talk about the the president using a video phone. It's like uh you, you couldn't do that? And be like, here's the sky.
0: And not only that, but their version of CNN, or whatever it is, right. actually gets news of the cargo ship being attacked before the Earth forces have even arrived on the ship. Yeah. Yeah, it's just the strangest thing. They obviously do have long-range communications, but they're flying all over the universe. and
1: Yes, uh, I, I feel like half to two-thirds of these stories are like that, though, with a lot of unnecessarily shuttling about. Sometimes. I don't even notice it anymore, hardly.
0: If you look at something like Carnival of Monsters, which I'm coming to appreciate more and more from this season, there is a lot of scuttling about, and there is the separation of the Doctor and Joe, But there it puts them into two separate plot lines where they have some agency in those plot lines. And it's all moving towards one destination, which is to figure out what the mystery is behind where they are. And for the people outside of the miniscope, there's the plot with uh, the president's brother and all that. Here, we know from the start that something is causing Draconia and Earth to at Loggerheads. We're just not told who it is, and the real suspicion is, well, could it be the Master? Could it be the Daleks, because the Ogrons are here? Could it just be the Ogrons? That's really the only mystery, apart from knowing who's going to kidnap the Doctor or Joe next. Speaking of those trips back and forth, this is something that bothers me every time I watch the story. It bothered me even more because it's not explained away in the book at all. Which would have been the perfect time to do it. Okay, so the Master has the Doctor and Joe. He's taking them back to the Ogron planet. The Doctor makes it out as if he's asleep, and Joe is doing this long monologue. By the way, there's a marvelous line on screen that the Master doesn't get here. When she's still talking and she thinks the Doctor's died, Mm -hmm. she's still doing her monologue. And when the Master comes up to her cell, he says, Thank you, Miss Grant. We'll let you know. (laughs)
1: it took me a moment there
0: yes yes it's it's a brilliant line but of course it isn't in the book at all but in that sequence all right i'm going to explain this because this is what bothers me although the sequence of the doctor trying to make his way back to the ship after the course correction is fairly tense It's also ridiculous because, think about it, if they're traveling through space, at speeds high enough to reach a planet outside the solar system. The Doctor would have been left behind in seconds Mm -hmm. unless he's somehow caught in the ship's gravitational field which also doesn't make sense unless the artificial gravity extends beyond the hull and into space.
1: I kind of thought it was like that where the gravitational field was sort of a bubble and it extends beyond the ship. That's just, that's just not normally relevant, but yeah. I
0: mean, the only thing I could think of was maybe um, something like from Star Trek, where the ship is in its own warp field and it's also got shielding and maybe somebody outside the ship would be protected by the shielding, but Yeah, (laughs) in the televised version, he's just hanging on Kirby wires (laughs) in a film studio with a completely stationary ship making his way back to it by (laughs) taking his oxygen supply and using it to propel himself (laughs) towards the ship, meaning they are both stationary.
1: So remind me, who wrote the original script? Oh, it's Hulk. Okay. in in, In some ways it feels like he's elevating very run-of-the-mill material but then it's also his material so it, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it i mean really in some is. ways, maybe his strength is as a more of a, a punch-up writer like we're punching up scripts
0: mm. i i would like to think so we are going to get him novelizing somebody else's story uh in the next set of books and you do see a marked difference between the televised story and the book there, because Hulk really just brings it on for that one. But you're right. there, I mean, if we look past the really good stuff, which is, you know, the one-liners, the interactions, character building, world building, which actually... Is better than most Doctor Who books. It really is. I just actually
1: a- read this book assuming that he was adapting someone else's script and thinking that he was doing a nice job shaping kind of a an okay story. But
0: oh yeah, no, it was o- his okay story to begin with. And the sad part is that it's meant to be this huge big build up to Planet of the Daleks.
2: Yeah, which I'm even realizing that the the fact that the, the Daleks are in cahoots with the Master is ruined by one line yes
0: which is delivered way too early in the book
2: yeah it is funny he calls them pepper pots
0: (laughs) stupid tin boxes
2: (laughs) yeah but yeah it's even that that surprise in the end kind of gets ruined early on
0: yeah and i don't know whether it's hulk actually being something of a realist and saying yeah the kids will have already seen this it was only three years ago or whether it's him saying, "Eh, uh, I really don't know." There's one other thing, and this is only this is something that bothers me about the new series. Uh, it's believed by many that it's the Second Doctor who came to dr- Draconia.
1: Yeah, the one who was there 500 years earlier. Mm-hmm. Exactly. However,
0: it's established in the New Adventures. that the draconians refer to the doctor as the oncoming storm yeah that should sound really familiar to you yeah because when russell t davis brought back the show in 2005 and the doctor confronts the daleks he says to them do you know what the daleks call me in their ancient legends the oncoming storm. It's like, doctor, you've got your own press wrong. <laughs> that's what the draconians call you. And what makes it worse is that Stephen Moffat repeats the mistake in the girl in the fireplace when he has Rose say, well, look what the cat dragged in. The oncoming storm.
1: Repeats the mistake is on the Moffat family crest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's mean. Rough. Oh, and people think I am Sorry, I've
1: been reading too much of uh, The Master's Dialogue.
0: Oh, that's (laughs) hilarious. That is hilarious. What makes it even more annoying is that Russell T. Davis wrote one of the new adventures. So you'd think he would know this, but no. Anyway. Anything else that you can think of? I, I keep just going back to the one-liners, like the master saying, "This is the best radio show I've listened to in years." Yes, <laughs> yeah, that was um, very
2: good. The scene where they're escaping at the end, and the doctor is imitating the Daleks, um, just just imagining uh, Pertwee uh, putting on the the metallic uh, Dalek voice, <laughs> um,
0: which he doesn't. He does, but he all he says in that voice is, "Open the gates," over and over again. Ah. He has a lot more dialogue here.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, like, yeah. So that w- that would have been interesting to see on screen, but oh yeah, none- nonetheless.
0: Yeah, it's still fun. Joe's line, "There's no place like home," is actually yes. by the master on screen.
2: <laughs> uh, so good.
0: <laughs> so there's a lots of lots of shifting of lines between people, but they tend to be good shifts in most cases. Uh, I thought we could all have afternoon tea together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The Master just really hates the Ograds, doesn't he?
1: <laughs>
0: the, yeah. He hates them.
1: He's yeah. always contemptuous of his manipulatives. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, he tends to be. Um,
2: whenever they get back to Draconia and they're, they're meeting with the emperor, when the doctor says, it won't be my first visit here. I was able to help them once when they were in trouble. How good of you, the master scoffed. Tu- <laughs> he, he turned to Joe. It astounds me how you can put up with him. He's so sick. <laughs> he's so sickeningly good.
0: <laughs> yes. Yep, that's an, that's also an addition. It reminds me of uh, the movie Barbarella, where she's swallowed by the moth, and it says, oh, you were so good, you made the moth vomit. Oh. That's how they get out of it. There's also a mention of listening to audiobooks on the moon. And oh, yes. The concept of print matter no longer being the main reading medium may have sounded suitably futuristic then, but it's pretty much accurately describing our present, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, well, and the description yeah. of the television, um, of the on-camera reporters and anchors having such natural color and um, realistic depth, I thought was interesting.
0: Yes, and she has a big screen TV in her office, too. It's 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 just a, something to see.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, and they still have dictaphones in the future, apparently.
2: <laughs> just one other little thing. When they're on the moon... Um, there there's the the inmate that is above the rest and without waiting, he snatched the little book from dotty's hand. The doctor said, Do you realize that's stealing? That's what I'm in for, said the armband <laughs> man.
0: Oh yeah, just, the the one who puts them in the um
2: the, in airlock. the airlock. Yeah. Yeah. Who I thought was going to be a good guy and ends up being a jerk.
0: Yeah, and come to think of it, I just meant to say this. Hulk gives us an explanation of his motives in this book because the governor wants him to put on this show of the it's inescapable, this prison.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And yet that's not in the televised version. In fact, when the master does meet with the governor, the governor doesn't want to give the doctor up for just that reason. And the master kind of has to pull that on him and say, you know, it looks like you arranged for them to be... Blown out into space. I could make a report about this if you don't give them over to me. Yeah.
1: I wonder if a person really can subtly file through a metal bar behind their back while acting casually.
0: <laughs> well,
1: right. he, he not has, drawing attention to the shoulder movements.
0: He has done it twice in a row now because yes. he, he used that same file in um, uh, Carnival of Monsters to cut through a bar there.
1: It gets a lot of use out of it.
0: He really does. All right. Are we ready for Goodreads?
1: I'm ready. I think so.
0: All right. As we always do, let's go to Goodreads.com for online reviews of the book written by other readers and follow up with our own ratings. By the way, if you're listening to this podcast and want to have your review featured when we get to an upcoming book, or you simply have a question about it, simply read the book, write a comment or review in our new Goodreads group. It's not so new anymore. By the deadline so that we have a chance to see it before discussing the book ourselves. You may just get your review read out loud here. The average rating for this book is a fairly good 3.51. Min gives it four stars and says, The greatest offering a novelization offers, that's a little redundant, is hearing those details that would never work in a televised program on a limited schedule. Hearing inner thoughts, histories, and more levels of intrigue make a good story blossom into great. The third doctor is the adventurous one, an action hero in a gentleman's clothing. I can easily imagine him only slightly adapted into a steampunk protagonist. Also, one of the politically motivated stories of... Bluster and distrust, creating the tension that only needs clear heads and logic to find a peaceful solution amongst leaders and populace clamoring for war, even when the Master tries so very intensely to stir the hornet's nest, if only for his own amusement. The Master is a character that needs more depth, even when he is already one of my favorite villains of all time. He's a mental match for the Doctor and many times neutered by his own plots. Nearly makes some comical... His motivations are too shallow. Yeah, speaking of testicles. Ruben Herfindahl. I don't mean that Ruben Herfindahl is a testicle. I mean, we were just talking about neutering the master and we were talking about the God. Sorry. Ruben Herfindahl. This veterinarian is terrible. Yeah. Also gives it four stars, saying, when I was a kid and this would play on TV every few years, I forgot how it ended and get really excited. And then, Planet of the Daleks. Yeah, I know what he means. If you count the entire serial as part one, it's the best cliffhanger in the entire run. (laughs) One which doesn't pay off, as they forgot it was a cliffhanger. One would hope this got resolved in the novelization, but it actually gets worse, as the Doctor is not injured in the end and the opening pages of Planet make even less sense. That said... This is Doctor Who doing epic space opera, and if you ignore what comes after, which would be Planet of the Daleks, it's among the best of the Pertwee era, and the novelization sticks pretty close to the story, with just a few minor glossovers to make it still fit into 150 pages. Well, 142. So, let's get your opinions. Dalton, what did you think of it?
2: I'm probably 3.25. I'm between a 3 and a 3.5. Hulk is really good with words he has a great way of creating the world um there's a lot of banter between the characters that i like but unfortunately there is a lot of back and forth kind of running around and just futility uh so yeah it it is an interesting read but it definitely doesn't really go anywhere um for a lot of the story and the the big reveal at the end is is kind of blown uh 50 pages too early. Um so yeah, I'd say about 3.25 for
0: me. Okay. Allison? I'm
1: going to go 2.75. That's high I, for you. Uh it is. I agree with everything you said about the both of you said about the weaknesses of the plot, but you know, Hope provides us such an enjoyable ride that it didn't really bother me. And I I I loved his characterization dialogue for the master so much and what he had for Joe in the story as well that um If anything, I say we saw a little less of the doctor, maybe, than we could have. I liked what he wrote of the doctor, but he's a little more secondary sometimes. But yeah, I thought it was a a good ride, even though the mayor told us to stay off the beach, and I did not read it there. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. uh, I follow a Twitter feed that's a police scanner, and uh, yesterday was a report of, 25 males playing soccer in the park. If only that was our (laughs) usual (laughs) usual crime blotter. Yes, despite being uh, barred from reading it on the beach in Chicago, um, (laughs) I I found it a very pleasant diversion, and it was what I was looking for right now, sort of where we are in the world. It, It had some thoughtful bits to it, but a lot of it was just fun characterization.
0: Okay, and I'm actually between the two of you this time. I would give it a, a solid three, because it's still Hulk. And as I said, Hulk is the strongest there is, as I always do.
1: Yeah. But, uh-huh.
0: Yeah, I know. But even when he's weak, he has a sense for characters' internal dialogue. He has a sense of world-building. He gives us backgrounds for characters. He sometimes will give lines to characters that don't have any. He'll rearrange scenes to make more sense, though sometimes he will take them out, And as is the case with that uh, scene with Joe. And that's why I'm dinging it a bit, because there are some really great things in the televised story, too, and they're completely missing from the novelization. Mm. And there doesn't seem to be any reason why they should be coupled with the fact
1: it's a little stretched
0: yeah it is coupled with the fact that that ending is going to cause people like us who are reading these in story order to get really confused luckily not everybody is as crazy as we are (laughs) so they'll know better but yeah it's still good not as good as other malcolm hulk books that we've read but still pretty good thank you guys and thank you, fellow time travelers, for giving us your valuable time. Next time, we'll be discussing Terrence Dick's novelization of Planet of the Daleks. In the meantime, if you've liked what you've heard here, like us on Facebook at Doctor Who Target Book Club Podcast, all on Word with no spaces. Also, feel free to follow us on Twitter. We're at DWTargetBC or subscribe to us via the podcast provider of your choice, including Spotify. If all else fails you, email me directly at emperordalic at gmail.com with Target Book Club in the subject line so I don't ignore it. Our new theme by Aaron S. is available on his YouTube channel at tinyurl.com forward slash y32b8f55, along with many, many others. Give him a follow and a thumbs up. Thank you very much for listening and enjoy your travels. Stay safe. Bye bye.
1: Bye.
2: Also, Tony, are you still there? Tony? I think we lost him. Oh, no. I was wondering why we weren't getting any.
1: Listeners, you heard it here. It happened. Um, Tony grew weary of it and shuffled off this mortar, mortal coil. Murder just, coil? <laughs> mortal coil. Murder, murder coil. <laughs> who, who booted up the murder coil?
2: <laughs> I don't remember reading about that. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I saw it say that I was the host now. And I'm like, I'm not the host. I, I'm not And host it now.
1: gave out just a text message. Oh, Great. Perhaps perhaps the listening audience will hear these gripping moments wherein we lost our leader. Let's just go ahead and descend straight into cannibalism and wearing grass skirts.
2: Yeah. Ugh.
1: Running back. <laughs> so how's California? It's, it's okay. It's
2: really weird um, not going outside and really doing anything. I mean, I can go outside, but not going anywhere, seeing anybody, is strange. But- uh, at least the weather's nice. I can I can always have that to say. How's everything back there?
1: Well, um, the mayor was really annoyed today that people keep going to the beach on nice days, <laughs> thronging mm-hmm. about, playing basketball and whatnot, and threatened to start ticketing people.
2: Yeah. They have um, all the beaches here. They have roped off. They put up police tape, so people can't even get to the parking spots.
1: Well, it's a little bit ambiguous here because you can walk to the beach. What you are and are not supposed to do because theoretically right. you can walk or bicycle if you maintain ah. a six foot distance. <laughs>
0: really? Sorry, I, I thought I your cameras
1: off. Oh, God. So, y'all were continuing.